So yeah, you might have noticed that Pastor Mark and Pastor Kate are not here this morning, and I'm really excited that we have um, the opportunity to have a guest speaker with Shane Austin this morning speaking. If you were here, I think a couple months ago, he led us in communion and shared about 21 days of prayer and fasting before, so he's a familiar face. But just to give you a little bit bit about who he is, um, he was actually born and raised in Alaska, I found out, so that's pretty cool. And a little bit about his story, he didn't grow up in church, but Jesus rescued him when he was 17, and so that's a little bit about his story. And he, this summer, has been married for 14 years and has three kids, six, eight, and ten. And he loves doing all the things, basketball, golf, fishing, board games, and puzzles. So uh, he's very, very relatable. Um, and yeah, he just has a desire for, for all of us to experience what God's freely given him. And I'm excited to hear what he has to share from the word this morning. So why don't you welcome Shane this morning? All right, good morning. Good to see you all today. Excited for what God has for us and excited for what he wants to speak to you today. Um, I'd love to pray as we go to God's word. Um, If you have your Bible or a Bible app, if you want to get there, we're going to be bouncing around different parts of scripture. So if you want to just follow along on the screen as well, um, that is okay. But I know my heart needs to be prepared as we hear from God's word and I believe that'd be good for all of us. Would you pray with me as we look to God's word together? Jesus, you are, are so good. You are faithful, guys. We just got done declaring in song, remembering through communion. God, you know every single heart in this room, every single heart watching online. God, and you know where we are at, what we need to hear. God, you know those of us who need encouragement today, those who need to be reminded of your love and your mercy, those of us who who need to be reminded of, of what it means to walk with you and maybe a conviction towards faithfulness in our lives to you. God, I pray for my heart, God, that it would be settled in who you are and what you've called me to say. And I would say nothing more, nothing less than what you would have for us today. We ask this in your name. Amen. So as a church, uh, this year we're asking this question, what do I believe? And walking through different sections of that belief and, and different statements and how that really looks and is evident throughout our lives. So I I did not grow up in the church, as Karen mentioned, and I uh, came to know Jesus when I was 17 years old, 36 now, so I've been walking with Jesus for about 19 years. 15 of those years, I was in some sort of vocational ministry, full-time or part-time pastoral ministry, went to Bible college, Uh, not, not doing that vocationally now, but still very much have that heart, my calling, my passion has not changed or shifted. But it's interesting because despite walking through Bible college, despite Over 10 years in vocational ministry, there was a a key habit or practice of following Jesus that, honestly, I just, no one ever really talked about. And it's just become new within the last few years of my life. And it wasn't that it was talked against, it just just wasn't talked about prior to that. And even though I'm just barely like dipping my toes into the kiddie pool is what it feels like, God has already done so much in this habit and practice in my life in these past few years. And, and when I was talking to Pastor Mark, and he's like, well, I was like, what's, what's the topic? What series are we going to be in? He's like, well, what, 
what's on your heart? And I was like, well, I, I can tell you that right away. Like, I know what God's been doing in my life. I'd love to share that with the church. And, and here's the belief statement that I think I would love for us to walk away with today, not just in our heads, I hope in our hearts as well. I believe Jesus is my rest. I believe Jesus is my rest. Our culture doesn't talk about rest very much. We, we have what I would call a, a hustle culture. That's what you see on social media. That's what you see celebrated. It's how much you can accomplish, how much you can produce. And a lot of times, kind of what we feel like our worth and our value is tied to what we can accomplish, how much work we can do. Now, work is not a bad thing. God created us to work. We are created to be co-creators with God, but there's a time to work and produce, and there is a time to rest and be at rest in our souls, knowing that God continues to work and do the good things that he does. There's this concept throughout Jewish culture, throughout scripture, uh, of Sabbath. Now, that word might sound familiar to you. It, it might be new to you. It's a transliteration of the Jewish word Shabbat. The Jewish word Shabbat has this connotation of four things, to stop, to rest, to delight, and to worship. And again, as we're answering this question, what do I believe? Really, our beliefs only shape our lives as much as they turn into a practice in our lives, right? I talk to lots of people, and most people agree that um, having a, a personal budget, like for your finances, is, is a good idea. But knowing or agreeing that a budget is a good thing and actually having a budget are two different things. And then having a budget and sticking to that budget and tracking with that is a different thing as well, right? We can agree that something is good. It doesn't necessarily mean that it impacts our daily lives. And so now as we look at rest, what does it mean for us to rest in Jesus. In Matthew 11, Jesus says this, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. In this passage, Jesus invites all who are weary or tired to rest at one point or another. <clears throat> if this is distracting, just run me up a handheld mic. If this is, <laughs> the mic's not working here. At one point or another, we're all tired or weary. Like we all get there, right? So he invites all of us in these times to, to rest in him. And he says that he is humble. He is gentle. He's not harsh. He's not demanding. He's not sitting there with the checklist going, here's where you missed it this week. He says, no, come to me. I'm humble. I'm gentle at heart. He says, let me teach you. Let me teach you what rest for your soul looks like. And here's the question that causes me to wrestle with. Do I believe that I know best the type of rest that I need? Or do I come to Jesus like a child and say, Jesus, you know better than I do where my deficiencies are, where my gaps are. You know what rest for my soul looks like. And he says, you will find rest for your souls, a deeper rest beyond just a nice nap, beyond a nice relaxing day in the sunshine, but a, a rest that goes deeper, that penetrates the core of who you are. 
I love this verse in Psalm 116, verse 7. I don't have any tattoos, but if I were to get a tattoo, this would be the tattoo right here, this verse. It says, let my soul be at rest again, for the Lord has been good to me. In the NIV, it says, be at rest once more, oh my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. There's times where you need to tell your soul to be at rest in God because he is good and faithful despite the circumstances happening around you. He is good and he loves you. So this is the invitation of what Jesus invites us into. But what does Sabbath rest really look like? I think we need to look to scripture to see how this has been played out for all of creation. Starting in creation, we see this in Genesis chapter two, when God is, is creating everything. He's creating the heavens and the earth. He's created the, the waters. He's created the, the plants and the animals. And then day six, he creates people, Adam and Eve in his image. And then here's what it says in verse 1 of chapter 2. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. Because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Now, why did God rest? Was he, was he tired? Was he weary? Well, we know he doesn't grow tired or weary. Isaiah 40 tells us that. So why did God rest? I, I like to think that God steps back after the six days and admires. He says, it's good. It's good. It's good. He creates men and women, people in his image. It is very good, he says. Then he steps back. And he admires everything he does. It reminds me, several years ago, before we moved back out to Cheney, we were in Spokane for about seven years and moved back out here. And we needed to replace the, the roof on our house. It was, it was a big roof. Um, we got some bids. I'm, I'm pretty frugal. That's a nice way of saying that I'm cheap, right? And so I'm like, I think I can take care of that. Like, you know, $15,000 to that person or... I'm doing about six with some buddies. I'm like, ah, oh, we'll get it knocked out in a weekend. <laughs> right? Two layers taken off. I mean, hauling, I mean, I don't know, six big trailer loads to dump. I remember we, we finally got the old roof off. I checked the forecast. And I'm like, okay, we're, we're good, right? Like, it's like, you know, no, no rain in the forecast. We are going to be okay. I've got time before I get the, the sheeting on, right? 4 a.m., I hear on the roof. I'm like, no. So I pick up the phone. I'm calling my neighbor down the street. Get tarps. Get here now. We're spreading tarps over. We, a month later, we finally get this roof done. And I will, I will never do a roof. I will help you do your roof. I'm glad. But I, like, as far as the full project responsibility, I will save the money and pay someone next time. But when that roof was complete, I just sat up there for like an hour admiring this beautiful roof. It was a roof. Imagine the joy and delight as God stepped back and just took it all in. I was talking to somebody before service getting ready to go up to Alaska this summer. It's kind of been on their bucket list. I mean, you see the beauty of creation. Or you look around at the diversity of the people that God's created. He just looks back and he says, wow, wow. 
he steps back and he delights in what he's completed. So that's when, when God rested, he wasn't tired. But, but why, why did he rest? I think also he rested to give us a model and to demonstrate his grace. The model is this. The model is that you and I, whether we like it or not, we are created with limits. See, a lot of culture tells us that limits are meant to be surpassed, to, 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 be, to be broken through. It's, it's, it's kind of a, a measure of how strong you are, of how much you can push past your limits. And when it comes to things like sports and exercise, absolutely, I mean, pushing, there, there's times where, yes, it's good to have that competitive nature, but there are also times to recognize that limits are not a curse. They are a gift from God. We, we are created with limits. We are created with the need and desire for rest. Here's how Wayne Mueller says it. He says, we can work without stopping faster and faster. Electric lights making artificial days so the whole machine can labor without ceasing. But remember, no living thing lives like this. There are greater rhythms that govern how life grows. Seasons and sunsets and great movements of seas and stars. We are part of the creation story subject to all its laws and rhythms. So God gives us a model of a rhythm for our life. Six days to work, to contribute, to produce, and a day to rest and to be with him. He also demonstrates his grace. He's creating Everything that we see, everything that we experience, day six, the pinnacle of his creation, he creates us, men and women, in his image. And then day seven, he rests. And he invites them to rest with him. Think about this. Adam and Eve, their first full day is a day to rest. Now, they're also given a command to be placed in the garden and to work the garden. But their first full day as created beings is to rest with their creator. From page one of scripture, we see this justification by faith through grace that we don't work and then deserve our rest at the end, that we start from a place of rest, from a place of saying, you are loved by God. You are his son. You are his daughter. He has redeemed you. You have value. You have worth before you do anything. You are loved for who you are, not for what you do. Here's how Lynn Babb reminds us of this. She says, the Sabbath teaches us grace because it connects us experientially to the basic truth that nothing we do will earn God's love. As long as we are working hard, using our gifts to serve others, experiencing joy in our work along with the toil, we are always in danger of believing that our actions trigger God's love for us. Only in stopping, really stopping, do we teach our hearts and souls that we are loved apart from what we do. That's one of those truths where I, I can read it I'm nodding my head. Yeah, I believe that. I agree with that. But how quickly do I slip into a different mode of operating in my life 
thinking that, oh, I, you know, I just didn't do as much today or this week as I wanted to. I wonder if God's looking at me a little bit differently today than he did yesterday because of the outcomes or lack thereof in my life. This is where our beliefs have to penetrate deeper than our heads, become embedded in our hearts and actually made manifest in our most intimate relationships that we have. So that's how we see Sabbath in creation. Let's fast forward a little bit to the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments that God gives to Moses. The fourth commandment listed there is, is, is around Sabbath. Now many people don't realize there's actually two uh, different times that the Ten Commandments are recorded in Scripture. One is in Exodus when Moses receives the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai uh, on the stone tablets from God and he shares those for the first time with God's people. The second time is actually when they've been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years and they're on the doorstep to the promised land. And one more time, Moses reminds them of what God has called them to. I want to look at both of these moments where it talks about Sabbath. In Exodus, it says this, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. It's interesting because this is actually the longest of the Ten Commandments. If you just look at any of the Ten Commandments, it gives the most time in terms of how many words, how many sentences to this command around Sabbath. Sabbath is intended to be a day of rest dedicated to the Lord. It is set apart as holy, which just means it's different. It should be different from the other six days in the rhythm of our week. And we see this call back to creation. Remember that the Lord rested on the seventh day. Now I want to look at Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, the first three verses are exactly the same verbatim as what we see in Exodus. But the very last verse, verse 15 in Deuteronomy differs slightly where he says this, remember that you were once slaves in Egypt but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Remember, this is after God has redeemed his people, brought them out of Egypt, no longer slaves. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. He says, remember, you were ruled by Pharaoh a harsh and demanding master, but the Lord has set you free. A slave doesn't get days off. A slave doesn't get to make their own decisions. And, and for hundreds of years, God's people had had that mindset drilled down into them. It's like, you don't own your own life. Somebody else owns it for you. Now, here's the reality. While I don't think any of us in this room have that kind of a literal master physically, a person demanding, governing our lives. I think there's lots of internal and external pharaohs. Internal meaning there's that little voice that says, no, you, you don't get to take a day off. You haven't done enough yet. 
You're only as good as what you produce. You're only as good as what you contribute to the people in the world around you. What makes you think you deserve to rest? Or the external ferals of just the pressure of culture and society says, you're only as good as what you've done lately. You're only as good as what you can post on social media that shows progress, that shows that you've done something worth celebrating, worth telling other people about. Right? Like, remember that you've been set free. The same way that God set his people free, you and I have been set free, bought by the price of the sacrifice of Jesus that we just remembered in communion. You are not a slave. You are free. And free people in Christ get to rest. Not because they've deserved it, because God says you are loved by me and I want you to learn to delight in me as I delight in you. Let's look at one more passage in the life of Jesus from Mark chapter two. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are you breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? They had some really interesting ideas around what the Sabbath was intended for. Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read the scriptures? What David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. See, Sabbath was made to be a gift of rest for us, not an obligation to meet. That's where it got twisted in their culture. And, And maybe even for some of us in the room, maybe if you grew up in a very kind of more like legalistic faith setting, maybe if there was a Sabbath component in your life, maybe it was more around things that you couldn't do. Oh, that's the day we don't play sports. That's the day we don't get to hang out with our friends. That's the day we don't get to watch TV. I don't think it was intended to be a don't. It was intended to be a day to be, to rest. One more quote from Wayne Mueller. He says, Sabbath is not dependent upon our readiness to stop. We do not stop when we are finished. We do not stop when we complete our phone calls, finish our project, get through this stack of messages, or get out this report that is due tomorrow. We stop because it is time to stop. Listen, Sabbath requires surrender. If we only stop when we are finished with all our work, we will never stop because our work is never completely done. With every accomplishment, there arises a new responsibility. If we refuse rest until we are finished, we will never rest until we die. You ever heard somebody say, oh, I've got time to sleep when I die? (laughs) Sabbath dissolves the artificial urgency of our days because it liberates us from the need to be finished. Now, don't get me wrong, I love completing a project. I love checklists. I love crossing things off. That is done. Like, that feels so good. 
But there's a time to produce, there's a time to accomplish, there's a time to work, to be co-creators with God. He created us to, to be partners with him and to see this world become what he intended it to be. But there's also a time to rest and to sit back and to go, he's God and I'm not. He is limitless. I have limits. Sabbath at its core, it's an invitation to trust. Do I trust Jesus enough? Believe that he is in control where I can set aside my to-dos for a day and trust that he's good. He's faithful. That I can stop because he continues to work. Psalm 121 says, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. You can sleep at peace at night knowing that God is not sleeping. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forever. God is in control. He is Lord. I am not, and that is a good thing. <laughs> like, it is good that I have limits and God is limitless. It's good that he is in charge and I am not. That means I can stop my work and my to-dos because God never does. I can be at peace because God is good. He is in control. He watches over and he protects me. One more Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with centuries will do no good. Listen to verse two here. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. For God gives rest to his loved ones. The Lord is my provider. I am not my own provider. I really believe that lack of trust for me, is one of the greatest hindrances to truly resting in God. Do I believe that he is still on the throne, still faithful, still leading my life, still good, still going to take care of me enough to take a breath? Again, Sabbath is not an obligation. It's an invitation to trust, to stop, to surrender to God. And it leads me to ask the question, who do I really believe is in control of my life? This is that head to heart gap, right? I can say, oh yeah, I believe God is in control. I believe he is Lord. But do my, does my life, do my actions, does my level of anxiety reflect that belief? And for me, oftentimes it doesn't. There's a disconnect in my Ability or inability to rest often for me is one of the greatest reflectors of how much am I trusting God right now? 
I think there's some challenges that we face when it comes to resting to Sabbath. Not, not just the faith challenges. Yes, that, that is hard as well. Do I really believe God is in control? But there's some other challenges, both internal and external, that we come up against that I think we need to name and be aware of as we're going to try to implement this into our lives. One is I think there's just kind of an addiction to work, hurry, hustle, and productivity. We're, we're think, and, and we're, we're even told in some ways by, by culture around us that our identity and value is found in what we can produce. Now, I want to be really clear on this. Productivity is not bad. In, in my career, I have to be productive or there's no paycheck. <laughs> That's true for most of us, right? Like work is not bad. God created work as a good thing. Work sometimes feels like a dirty word. It is not a dirty word. It is a good thing. We are created to work. We are created to be productive, to make the world around us a better place, to bring all of who God's made us to be to our relationships, to our workplace, to our families, to our neighborhoods. That is a good thing, but there is a time to work and produce and a time to rest. This is what Rich Viotis, a pastor in New York, says. He says, we keep Sabbath not because it makes us more productive at work. We keep it to resist the idol of productivity. We are more than what we produce. I mentioned it earlier, I think another challenge is just that, honestly, culture overall right now does not align with this value of rest. Now you go back 50, 60 years, it's different. Even apart from faith, even if you weren't necessarily a believer, in America in the 1950s and 60s, there was a cultural Sabbath of sorts in place. Like stores were just closed, right? Like there was just an expectation whether you went to church or not. You typically had like a Sunday dinner, a Sunday meal. Like you, you slowed down culturally. That is not the case anymore. So culture around us tells us, no, it's, it's, about, it's about continuing to go. You know, Sunday, that, that's, or whether you Sabbath on Sunday or Saturday, I don't think it's really about the day of the week. We can have a different conversation about that, but whenever works best for your routine and your schedule and your family, it's, it's about resting where culture says, no, we don't stop, we don't rest. Any idle moment is an opportunity to take the next step, to, to earn another dollar, to be a little bit more influential with those around you. The expectation because we walk around with these mini computers in our pockets, is that you're always available, right? Like whether it's a text or a phone call or an email, like there's an expectation that you're going to respond immediately. I should always be able to get a hold of you. I don't care if it's midnight, if it's Saturday, if it's Sunday, like you should always be available. And then with social media added on there, there's, there's this expectation that maybe I'm not, I'm not involved in it, but I should at least know what's going on around me. So I got to be scrolling to see what's happening in other people's lives, right? It's the, the fear of missing out, FOMO, right? Like I, I got to know because if something comes up in a conversation, whether it was something that happened with a mutual friend last weekend or something that happens in a celebrity's life or, you know, in politics, like I have to be up to date. So I have to always know what's happening in the world around me as opposed to, no, I can shut that off for a minute and be present right where I am with the people around me. I think one of the challenges, honestly, is there's, 
certain seasons of life, of family, that, that can make this harder. When our kids were younger, one, I didn't really have a, a practice or an idea that Sabbath is something that we should be kind of trying to experience as a family, so I wasn't even necessarily intentional with it. But having young kiddos, it's hard to have a day of rest, right? Like, amen from the mamas? Like, I mean, like, come on. Like, it is, it is tough. That's where I think this larger family, like Sabbath is not intended to be an individual activity. I truly believe. It's, it's intended to be communal. Maybe with your biological family, like if you have generations that are like grandparents, Sabbath, like, help out with the grandkids. <laughs> give, us, give us parents a little bit of a help because we know that you love being with the grandkids and, and we love that they love being with you and we love when they are with you and, and we are all together and we get to like sit back and watch you play with the grandkids for a little bit, right? Or, or, or maybe it's, hey, I don't have that biological family here, but that's where the church is meant to be the family of God. And I'm going to speak especially when you see people in your life that you know, single parents, they're doing both jobs, right? Like how can you in Sabbath not just rest yourself, but maybe be a part of providing rest for another saying, hey, why don't you come over to our house? We're barbecuing, kids are playing in the backyard. Just rest together, just enjoy each other, be together, some good food. There's another piece that I just want you to be aware of if you haven't ever slowed down to rest this way before. And it's something that I call Sabbath sadness. Like Sabbath sadness, how does rest sad? Like, I mean, this sounds great. Like, yeah, let's do that. But here's the thing, when we slow down, we take a breath and you get into even a different pace. You, you chew your food a little bit slower, like you walk a little bit slower, you're not quite as hurried, your, your watch is somewhere else because you're not driven by what's the next thing on the calendar. When you slow down, some of the emotions that you were too busy to feel and experience the other six days kind of catch up to you. When you have time to reflect and say, oh, man, I think maybe God's been trying to get my attention and I've just been going so fast and so hard and from this thing to the next thing, I just, I missed it. Now it's kind of all hitting me at once. I don't know how I can process this. It might feel harder before it feels like it's adding value to your life. I want to encourage you to press through that and even process that. Hopefully you have some people in your life that you trust that you can be open with. Say, hey, you know, as I was trying this Sabbath thing and trying to slow down and rest. And here's all the, the fears that kind of crept into my mind, the, the, the anxiety that crept up. Because when you're busy, you can kind of keep those things at bay a little bit, right? I don't think that's healthiest for us, though. I think God wants to do a deeper work in our hearts. And that deeper work requires us to slow down. Okay. So how do we do this? I know we talked about like, we see it in scripture. What are some of the challenges that we face? What does this practically look like? If I'm like, okay, I want to try to set aside half a day or a day and actually practice this in my life. As I mentioned earlier, Sabbath is a transliteration of the Hebrew word Shabbat. And that Hebrew word has connotations of four things. Stop, rest, delight, 
and worship. And I want to look at those one at a time. And there's not necessarily that these, each four of these are, are distinctly separate, but I do believe there is a natural flow and progression. Before I can rest, I need to stop some things. After I stop and start to experience some rest, then there's kind of some, ah, some lightness, some delight, some joy that enters in. And then that leads me to this place of worship. So we stop. We stop from work. We stop from our to-do list, our obligations, the pressures of those around us, the expectations to, to, to do what we feel like other people are going to approve of and like. I think there's an element of stopping when it comes to technology. Phones, like if you can turn your phone off for part of a day, I promise at the beginning, it'll scare you because you're like, what, what am I missing? What if someone's trying to get a hold of me? What? All these things, right? Whereas like 20 years ago, none of us had cell phones and can't remember what that was like. But now it's the expectation you always have it on, you always have it with you. At first, it's hard to turn your phone off. Now I find myself, when I have my phone off, like it's off right now, I'll turn it on later tonight. I don't want to turn it on. I'm like, this is nice. I like not having something buzz, you know, like in my pocket and then having to, oh, I got to go check that. I wonder what that was about. It's incredibly freeing. Social media, it's okay to not know what's happening in the world around you for half a day or for a full day. We stop these things intentionally. There's also things that we might, in order to stop, we might need to be intentional in our preparation. Things like making sure the chores are done on one day. Not, not all of us, a lot of us have a five-day work week. Right? Where you're actually like going to a job that provides income for you, for your family. Not everyone, I, I understand, but a lot of us do. That leaves two days. I would encourage you, one of those is to take care of whatever it is you need to take care of outside of work. That's still being about being productive in your life, whether it's yard work, whether it's grocery shopping, whether it's repairing your sprinkler lines, whether it's helping a friend, whatever that might be. And then allow that day to be a day of rest. So things like grocery shopping, uh, meal prep. Like I, I enjoy cooking and preparing a meal that that's restful for me. It's not restful for my wife. <laughs> so on our Sabbath, if I'm cooking, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that on our Sabbath. If, if she's preparing dinner, she's going to prepare it ahead of time the night before and just have something easy, crock pot, ready to go, warm up leftovers, whatever that might look like. You might need to prepare ahead of time so that you can stop when the time comes to stop. So we stop and then we, we rest. When we rest, we, we take a breath. We slow down. This is going to sound funny, but like, eat your meals slower. <laughs> like, I, especially having young kids, I just, I eat my food so fast. One, I just enjoy, I enjoy food. But I, my, my kids, it's like, you know, you don't know how long they're going to be at the table. So I'm just like, all right, I got to keep pace with them. My son, his joke is he tries to finish his dinner before I actually sit down at the table. Because we got our kids dished up and they start eating. And it's like half the time he's done before I'm even at the table. But, but just slow down. Go for a walk, but walk a little bit slower. Pause, enjoy creation, enjoy the people 
around you. And I'll say this too. What's restful for you may not be restful for someone else and vice versa. So if it feels restful, do it. If it does, like to me, working out, not restful. Nope. I enjoy sports and some other activities, but I know for some of you, like going for a run, that is actually restful. So if, it, if it's restful to you, don't, don't overthink this, right? If you're like, no, I enjoy this. I feel more filled afterwards than I do beforehand. I'd add that to the list of activities that are restful for you. Get rid of that hurry and hustle mentality that drives our culture and our lives. When we rest, we rest from work. We rest from worry. This is a hard one. When we rest on Sabbath, it, it allows our hearts to be content in our current circumstances. God gives us six days to be actively working to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We see areas in our lives and lives of people around us that we want things to be better, to be different. And that's good. We're, we're made with, with that desire and that propensity to see God's kingdom come, to see brokenness restored, to see lives made whole. But there's also a day to say, God, you give. God, you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And whether I'm in a season of rejoicing or I'm in a season of sorrow, God, you are good. We rest from worry and we rest from our wants. How often do we look for whatever the next thing is on the agenda? Whether it's, oh, vacations in two weeks, just got to get there, two more weeks, or, oh, once we get a better vehicle, or, oh, once I get this project done, and it's always something else. Once we're there, once that's done, once that's off the list, then, oh, I'll be okay. Or we see something, something, something new on an ad or something, oh, I really want that, I'm excited for that. The newest technology upgrade, whatever it might be, we rest from those wants saying, God, what you've given me today is enough and I will be content with your provision. And I'll say this too, when it comes to resting, at times what feels like our strongest desires, and at times for me, what feels like a really, th like, oh, what sounds really restful is if I can just like check out and watch like eight hours of a show on Netflix, that would be amazing. When's the last time you did that and you felt more rested at the end than you did at the beginning? It's, it's never happened for me. There's nothing wrong with watching a show on Netflix. I'm not trying to like make you feel bad about that. But sometimes what we think is restful might not actually meet that deepest need that we have to rest in God. So we stop, we rest. And then I think as we were resting, you cross over into this area of delight. Where it is just, you, you find yourself smiling at simple things. There's joy, there's a sense of delight because you're, you're a little bit lighter. God is love and joy embodied. Think about this, God exists within the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit as perfect loving relationship. 
And that's what he invites us into. So my question is this, how do you see God? Like, how do you view him? When you think about spending time with God, what's your immediate emotional response? Is it, oh, that sounds so nice. I can't wait to be with my creator. Or, ooh, I wonder how God's viewing me right now. I wonder what he thinks of me. I wonder if he's angry with me, upset with me, disappointed, maybe. A.W. Tozer says, whatever comes into your heart and mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. So do I see God as loving and full of joy? I think I have a couple friends in my life that I just, I'm excited every time I know I'm going to see them. Because they are fun, they are positive, they are upbeat. I have my friend Norm, he's just a goofball. Like, he always makes me laugh and smile. I'm like, I'm always excited to hang out with Norm. We have a blast together every single time just because he's just that kind of guy. He's that kind of friend. Or when I get to spend time with my wife, I love spending time with my wife. She's my best friend. It doesn't matter what we're doing together, I just love being with her. How, how do you approach, how do you see time with God? Do you see him in that spot of full of love, full of joy? Or do you see him like another Pharaoh in your life? Looking at the checklist, grading you. Hey, this week you didn't do so good. Hey, you know that moment with your kid where you lost your temper and you, you yelled instead of being more compassionate? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, the, the way you responded to that coworker, the way you acted on the sideline of your kid's sports game. That's a hard one, right? Like, do we, do we see God as this, like, boss that's impossible to please? Like, all your work is never enough? Or maybe this distant and, and disapproving dad? Or do you see him as your loving, perfect, heavenly father? And I'll say this. I think all of us, in some way, we, we have broken ways of how we see and view God, so, so I don't think any of us is seeing God perfectly as he is all the time. We, we all have our broken filters that we put on. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Just like a child, just ask him, God, would you show me who you are? I, 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 don't, I don't really enjoy the thought of spending time with you, but I want to. Like, that it doesn't excite me. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't look forward to, to, to having time set aside to, to be with you, but, but I want to. Would you, would you show me who you are? Just ask him, like a child. Sabbath is a day to exist in God's presence as his beloved child, to delight in God's delight of you. And as we delight naturally, that transitions to worship. Now, worship is not relegated to our time of, of singing when we're gathered together corporately. That, that is a form and expression of worship. But worship at its simplest form is ascribing worth to someone or something in our lives. It's really the question of what or who do I worship? Where do I give my time? My energy, my attention, my affection, my finances. Like, where am I directing my life in my, 
my desires, where, where is that directed towards? Again, this is an invitation to trust. Do I believe that God is good, that he wants what is best for me and knows even better than I do what I truly need? Sabbath is intended to be a day that is holy, set apart, different from the others. It's a day to be surprised by God. Say, God, I'm setting aside this time. What, what do you want to speak? What do you want to reveal? Or do you just want to be together? It's about creating room and space for what God wants to do, what he wants to reveal. I believe worship is the natural response to seeing God for who he truly is. And Sabbath, as we practice this, we learn to rest, delight, worship. It actually grows our capacity to worship the other six days, to be a little more present to God when we are in the grind, when we are producing, when we are accomplishing, when we are working. Last piece I want to talk about before we close is, is what Sabbath does in us. As you develop this practice in your life, it's kind of the question, okay, like, this all sounds good. Maybe it's, yeah, God says I should do it. I don't know. For me, I sometimes I ask the question, well, what's in it for me? <laughs> like, what, what, what am I going to get from this? Well, there's a few things. One, there was actually a study done on, on a, a, a kind of a group of, of Christians that, that very methodically practiced Sabbath they actually found they had greater physical longevity in their lives. They lived on average 10 to 12 years longer <laughs> than people who didn't have a practice of Sabbath. Now, it's interesting, one day a week, that's one seventh. 10 to 12 years longer, it's about an extra seventh added on to the average lifespan. So there's one just physical benefit for you right there. I believe as we learn to rest and delight in God, to stop from our work, to know that he is good, to trust him more, it actually produces the fruit of the spirit in greater ways in our lives. You and I become more loving, peaceful, joyful, patient, kind, generous, good people. I really believe that because I've experienced it in my own life. And it doesn't happen like all at once, like, it's not like he just gets deposited after you've Sabbath for, you know, a month in a row or something like that. It happens over time. I, I liken it to the same way compound interest works when it comes to saving or investing, where it's like, all right, I'm putting this, you know, 200 bucks a month or whatever in this Roth IRA. Like, we'll see what happens. But as you just do that, and the interest compounds and, and grows, eventually you look back and go, whoa, there's something there. Nice. I think it's the same as we learn to be with God, to remain, abide, rest in him. There's not a single moment that you're going to look at in your life and go, oh, that's where God made me more patient. Oh, that's where I became more joyful, more loving, a, a, a more gentle dad, whatever it might be. It just over time you look back and go, wow, God's doing something in me. And I believe Sabbath is a key part of how we tap into what God wants to do in producing the fruit of the spirit. And I think also it just produces the ability to live lives of faithfulness, right? Like not to run hard for God for two years and then burn out, but to have lives that last that people look at and go, wow, I want a marriage like that.
I, I, I want to interact with my kid, not because we're perfect, not because we're any better, but just because God is in his grace doing something in us and through us that we cannot do for ourselves. Bringing about this change and transformation in our hearts as we learn to rest in him. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I want to, I want to pray through a passage as we close. And after I pray in a moment, we're going to have prayer partners up here at the front. Love to pray with you about anything today, anything happening in your life. Before I read through this passage and we pray through it together, I just want to encourage you in this. Start where you are, not where you feel like you should be. So if 24 hours is just like impossible to set aside, you're like, oh my goodness, how could I possibly? Maybe it's half a day. Maybe it's a morning slot. But set aside some intentional time. Begin to work towards a full day. Set aside to these things and see what God might want to do in your hearts. I'm going to read through Psalm 23. I'm actually going to pray through it. You can look on the screen. You can close your eyes. You can open your hands in a posture of expecting God to speak to you. But let's pray through this passage as we close. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. God, you are my leader. You are in charge. God, I have everything I need in you as my provider. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. God, your provision is so abundant that you allow me to rest in your abundance. God, the water that you give to drink is, is calm water. It's clear, it's pure, and it produces in me streams of living water that will pour out to others. He renews my strength. God, you restore and give me the rest that I need. He guide me, guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. God, even in seasons of challenge, God, in difficulty and pain and loss and trials, God, you are with me and my soul can be at rest for you have been good and you will always be good. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. God, you are so good and so generous that literally there is overflow in my life. God, you honor me. You continue to provide even when either voices internally or externally say that I am something else or I need to do something else or I'm not worthy, or I'm not good enough. God, you continue to delight in me. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. God, you pursue me long before I ever pursue you. You are the one who initiates this relationship. God, I trust you. I delight in you. You are good and you are faithful.
May you go in the blessing of the Lord this week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Love you. Have a great week.